Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Just like that, the second hour is here, OutKick 360 and live in 6th and Peabody. Nashville, our location, and across the OutKick network. Glad you're with us, uh, listening or viewing us through the live stream at OutKick.com and YouTube, Twitter, Facebook you name it you can find the podcast if you miss portions of the show wherever you download your audio to search out outkick 360 some injury updates and then we're going to get to some nfl accolades from week nine as we head into week 10 uh quarterback related josh allen listed as day to day and his status with his elbow unclear for their week 10 matchup against the minnesota vikings the quote was we'll see from Sean McDermott. He's day-to-day, and the question is going to be, is he going to play? And the answer is, we'll see. That's what he said today. Um, Matthew Stafford has entered concussion protocol on a Wednesday. That's intriguing. The Cardinals are coming to L.A. Cardinals-Rams this weekend. Um, so This will speed up them being done this season. When I saw this news, I'm thinking, this is going to make it really easy for this to be a mulligan of a year if he misses any time at all, especially given their record right now after, I mean, blowing it against Tampa, where I thought that game was over. He could have technically entered concussion protocol on Monday, and we just learn about it on Wednesday because he hasn't had to do anything, right? So he suffered a concussion somewhere along the way on Sunday. Did he finish that game, do we know? Yes. Yeah. Um, So that's interesting. Also, uh, Ryan Tannehill practiced today, Paul. Yeah, according to uh, John Glennon, our friend, he was more active in individual drills, which is the part that's open to uh, the media. I didn't stay out there for that. I had some work to finish up, and it's usually not particularly interesting, but more active in the individual uh, element of practice than he's been recent weeks. His warm-up, guys, in Kansas City was nothing. I mean, he went out there and played catch. Yeah. Um, and he didn't look good. And walked off the field. Yeah, he didn't. He, I mean, he, he threw the ball fine, but he wasn't the doing anything movement. with his legs. He, yeah. he was lobbying to play. I know Vrabel admitted as much, but he was. Vrabel says he's factoring a couple of things. And he, what? The, protecting he, himself. Can he's, he protect himself? Is he mobile? Um, and, you know, if, if 80%, 95%, whatever that is. And then if he can aggravate the injury further. He and he can't couldn't answer protect all those himself. questions. I, and look, I don't know. You know, there's a chance here. He could be okay this weekend, play against Denver, a team I think they could probably beat in the style that they beat Houston, really heavy Derrick Henry, doing more with Malik Willis like they did against Kansas City, where he got outside the pocket, did some running, made some nice throws, a couple of which were dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Green Bay is only four days later because they're playing on a Thursday night, and Green Bay is pretty terrible. So do you take your chances in those two games and buy Tannehill two entire weeks off to come back? 
Or if he's ready this week, you play him twice in four days. I think they're at a crossroads with that yes. injury, right? Yes. But Tannehill pretty much today kind of said, like, I'm going to be dealing with something. Felt like he was saying, I'm going to be dealing with something the rest of the season. Like, this isn't going away no matter what. Which makes me feel like, get to the best place you can. Titans could do okay in these two games. Plus, if you lose in Green Bay... An NFC loss isn't going to hurt this team very badly in terms of winning the division and being a, t- a top four seed. I agree. It's uh, a, the the schedule setup makes this uh, a bit more difficult of a decision. Yeah. I, I'd be tempted to, to give them two more games here. That's a lot of time. I, I mean, that's a big difference. Um, hit us up on uh, social at Outkick360. And uh, right now at Outkick.com, I've got my weekly column for NFL accolades, uh, the NFL Awards Watch Week 9 edition. I've got Patrick Mahomes as my MVP. I thought the MVP moment on Sunday. And I'm also factoring into this, if I was voting, the Josh Allen elbow injury. Yeah. He's coming off the loss. and he was, uh, uh, Allen is tremendous. But the elbow injury and the uncertainty there – to me, you're forecasting a little. This is um, this is a great opportunity for Jalen Hurts to rise in these rankings, to gain the public sentiment of most valuable player. I think it's Mahomes or Allen. I think I think Hurts can close the gap, and it, part of it is Allen's injuries. He's going to miss time, but also the upcoming schedule and the timing of all this for Jalen Hurts because they're coming off of their bye week. And they get the commanders on Monday Night Football. They then, in week 11, will go to the Colts in Indianapolis. And then they will host the Packers. And knowing the numbers and certainly knowing some of these opponents and the, the explosive plays that they allow defensively, um, especially Washington and Indy, I think this, this, this could be the point where he cranks it up a notch for an already really good season. And it's already been a crazy season. Jalen Hurts, and I, I think the caveat is, oh, um, he's offensive player of the year. I'm not, I'm not putting I don't him, like a quarterback as I, offensive player of the year. That's like yeah, runner up. Yes. And, and I, I, when's the last time we saw a quarterback it, as offensive player of the year if he's not MVP? Like well, you might win both because you're so good. Well, so, and I, I, I'll get to offensive player of the year in a moment. But I, I said in the column, hey, I'm, I'm not really factoring in Offensive player of the year at quarterback. I wouldn't either. I um, think that's smart. But I, I think that's probably where he's voted, unfortunately. I I would start mentioning him for MVP. I would too. It, it's not far-fetched this season that Jalen Hurts can win most valuable Here, Here's my kind of question on it at this point. And, uh, you know, I think primetime games have something to do with it too because the national media, obviously, that's when most of them get to see. Yep. They just saw Mahomes against a terrific defense have a you know the defining drive of the game and go down and, and win it. Um, but I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, Mahomes has won it. And I'm not saying there's Mahomes fatigue, but it's rare when you get a new guy breaking through for so long. You know, it's been a Rodgers, Brady kind of deal. And now Mahomes has been around, even though he's only won it once, right? Mm-hmm. But it feels like he's been the new guy in the conversation now for six years already. And here comes Hurts out of nowhere. It's kind of like when Lamar Jackson kind of came out of nowhere. And I think there's a little bit of um, 
changing thing where as opposed to leaning on the familiar guy, you are tempted by the new guy. Well, the league needs it. I, I agree. Um, and I normally wouldn't say that, but this is a year where quarterbacks that we've expected to be great that we're constantly talking about have just not been that good. And uh, they've had an embarrassment of riches at quarterback for a while now. It's getting a little thin outside of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Jalen Hurts is having a great year. Lamar Jackson could stand to step up a little bit, quite yes. frankly, yep. for the good of the league. Justin Herbert hasn't, hasn't Justin done Herbert what we expected. has not, yeah. So Burrow I think could, the more of those guys, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Tua, I mean, go down the list. If those guys can elevate and get into the MVP discussion and win one, if Jalen Hurts wins one, that's, to me, that's a good thing for the NFL. Oh, absolutely. Over, over a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen. If it's Jalen Hurts, I think that only helps the league because – it's time now in a down year for offense and quarterback to start to pump up that next generation a bit and, and see what they can do and for them to start proving it a little bit more. And Josh Allen's elbow has a ripple effect. No doubt. And in his own division with, uh, of course, uh, records and, and playoff race and all that, but also in the MVP race where Tua Tagovailoa has taken a massive jump. Here's uh, sports lines. Um, odds now where he has moved from plus 5,000 to plus 1,500 since Monday with the injury report to Josh Allen. This is Monday. He did nothing on Monday, Tua. Nothing. The only thing that happened on Monday was injury news about Josh Allen from, and he moved up this much. Means the money tells came in you, on, right? Yeah, and it tells you that people think that the Dolphins are a legitimate contender. We were talking about this for the AFC East now pending yes. what happens with Allen's elbow and coming off that loss to the jets the the, the jets are influencing this as well as no and question. that's a three team division i i did divisional intrigue rankings a little while ago that division's more into i had them number 1 and they're definitely number 1 now because of this elbow they've got the browns this week then the texans after their uh after thanksgiving and the 49ers. That's the upcoming schedule for the Dolphins. Um, keep an eye on Tua. Uh, offensive Player of the Year. So the last time a quarterback won Offensive Player of the Year was 2018, Patrick Mahomes. And he won MVP, right? Um, he was, I think, 2019. No, Yeah, you're right, MVP as well. See, I think the only time a quarterback's winning Offensive Player of the Year is when he's like such a strong MVP that he wins both. Yeah, he won both that year. Yeah. Yes. I don't, I don't think in so, your scenario here – a quarterback who's like runner-up MVP is winning Offensive Player of the Year very often, if at all. So I think the runner-up and like the – it sounds awful. Usually best non-quarterback. So I, I, right now it's Tyreek Hill. He's unbelievable. He's pacing not even uh, individual players by 200-plus yards. He's outpacing like six, seven, eight full receiving cores across the league right now. Um, but I did mention a quarterback this week with Geno Smith because – I think the award that he is going to get is comeback player of the year. Which but is, I'm not doing like I, I need to mention him because of his outstanding play. He threw a pick six on the first drive of the second half this past week in Arizona, and the Cardinals took a lead, 14-10, I believe. And right after that drive, 13 plays down the field, touchdown. He was five of six passing on that drive. They retook the lead. They end up winning by 10 points on the road. He's been awesome. The story is unbelievable. 
And he deserves more than Comeback Player of the Year this year. Comeback Player of the Year is a funny award because it's not defined, if I'm correct, by Associated Press as to coming back from what. And yeah. typically, it's for somebody who comes back from a serious injury. If, if Geno Smith didn't exist this year, Derrick Henry would likely be Comeback Player of the Year because he has suffered a significant foot injury last year. Yep. And he's back to himself this year, which most of us expected. Most of us here in this market expected. But Geno Smith is coming back from something bigger than a Jones fracture in his foot, if you can believe it. He's coming back from irrelevance. And it is really hard in the NFL at any position to come back from irrelevance. It's really hard to come back from irrelevance as a quarterback. It doesn't happen. When you wash out a quarterback in the NFL on multiple teams, you don't come back and play well because everybody gives you every chance yes. before you wash out, right? So what he's done is absolutely comeback player of the year worthy. I fear Hutton, he's going to have to settle for that because I think so. offensive player of the year, like you said, it goes to the best offensive guy who's not a quarterback. And I'm with you right now. That's Tyreek Hill. Um, also, Kenneth Walker, offensive player of the year right now for rookies. Just keep an eye on him. He's been unbelievable over the last five weeks or so. Um, and Damian Pierce, another candidate, is on the injury report with a shoulder issue this week. Hell of a fine for Houston. Um, yeah, he's been he's he's the one bright spot in what has been a dull existence. Yeah, we haven't said that a lot about the Texans. Yeah, hell of a find. Um, Paul, also you've got a column coming up, I believe, right on World Cup. I got a column. I don't think it's up yet, but it will be soon on uh, the World Cup, which starts on the twentieth. Um, we'll dive in on that. Soon. Yeah, the um, you know club play in Europe ends only um, the thirteenth, so you really have a week to get together with your country and. Um, you know, quick camp and travel to Qatar. Um, my thing is this. I want more yellow cards. I think people think that slows down the game. Listen, the rules say you're not allowed to, uh, if there's a free kick awarded, slow down play there. Guys linger in that zone and slow things down and make it hard on the ref to restart a game. I want to be able to restart immediately. And if you're in that zone, I want you to get a red card. And then if you're stalling late on a throw-in on a goal kick, all of that stuff, I want a red card. And the other thing I want is legitimate stoppage time. I don't mind the fact that the ref controls the clock, but I want it legitimate. If I time up how much time the game is stopped and it's eight and a half minutes, I want eight and a half minutes of stoppage time. There are never eight and a half minutes of stoppage time. They never go that far. And they need to go as far as it is. I want my money's worth. I want the whole 45 minutes played. So those are my pleas for the World Cup. It's not going to happen. But those things are in the rules, too. You're not allowed. Those are yellow card offenses that I'm asking for. I'm just asking for enforcement. You can read that coming up at OutKick.com and coming up on OutKick 360, Chad. We talked a little college football. Todd Luganville, excellent guest in the past for us and plenty of, uh, plenty of things to dive into. Well, we talked a lot about the college football playoff rankings with Bobby Carpenter. We're going to get more into specific teams, coaches, coaching openings, some recruiting. Tom Luganville can talk about all of it. Been a terrific guest for us in the past. Looking forward to breaking down some of the top contenders and I'm going to be asking him about a couple of coaching vacancies, including one on the Plains. All right. Uh, that's next in, in a matter of minutes. Tom joins us in Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Glad you're with us, broadcasting live in Nashville across the Outkick Network, 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Talking college and NFL every day and talking college football now with Tom Luganville, ESPN, sideline reporter, college football analyst, recruiting and uh, a scout as well. Tom, good to have you back on the show, man. Appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm looking forward to another great week of college football, as I'm sure you guys are. It's been a great season and uh, you're right about it was being a great week this past weekend. Tennessee, Georgia was obviously the game of the weekend. And, Tom, it kind of felt like a foregone conclusion that hey, Tennessee's just going to s- score 30-plus, close to 40 in every game until they ran into Georgia. When you watch that game, it's clear that Georgia was the first team to man up Tennessee and, and big-boy them sure. a bit defensively. Is it scheme? Is it players? Do you see any other teams across college football that could do that to Tennessee? Or is this just simply a Georgia special this year? with their ability to play defense against that Josh Heupel offense? Yeah, I think it was both. I think it was players first, uh, scheme second. And I, and I think when you really boil it down to the sim- simplicity of what Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart came up with, it was, hey, we're better than you, all right? And we're going to force you to have to beat us and earn it. And by doing what? We're going to get up in your face. We're not going to give you a two-way go off of the line of scrimmage because the one thing about this vaunted Tennessee passing game is on the outside, you know, it, it's it's very run-and-shoot-like. Everything's based off of post-snap movement. So if I'm a wide receiver on the outside and I got a corner playing six yards off of me, he jumps to my outside. Once the ball snapped, I'm taking the inside. Conversely, if he jumps to the inside, I'm taking the outside. And then the RPO game is the same thing on the inside with your slot receivers off of the play-action game in the backfield. Now, you talk to coaches across college football, and they say, well, how in the world are we supposed to stop RPO? Well, you play man defense. That's how you stop it. The problem is very few teams in college football have the personnel to just line up and say, we're going to play man on every snap, and we think we can beat you. And so what they did is they took away Tennessee's options downfield, and they forced them to have to earn every single inch. Doing that, all the while bringing some pressure, getting in Hendon Hooker's face and saying, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to drop the ball into a little tiny bucket 40 yards downfield. The thing that I thought was interesting, because this hadn't reared its ugly head all year long, when Tennessee did have some open guys downfield, they missed. And they had not done that. They had been so efficient in the vertical passing game, but they were not when they had the opportunities uh, on the road. So I I just think Georgia just lined up and, and took away any type of two-way go down the field that any of their receiving targets had for the majority of the day. Tom, we know that what Georgia's doing with Kirby Smart is sustainable with their recruiting sure. and their defense. and every they, They've got it rolling there. With Josh Heupel in Tennessee, do you see this as a lightning-in-a-bottle type scenario with Hendon Hooker? Or is this sustainable with Heupel at Tennessee with this offensive success, given that if, as long as they recruit the quarterback position correctly – is this something that can continue year in and year out for this Vols program with this level of success? Uh, absolutely, but I, I think the quarterback's number one. There's no question about that. But let's not forget we're in a line of scrimmage league, right? So they're going to have to play catch up and start out-recruiting some of their peers 
in the offensive line and the defensive front. If you look at the common denominator of the college football playoff just about every year outside of what we've seen from Notre Dame, outside of what we've seen from Oklahoma, the best teams in there have been loaded up front on both sides of the ball, and they've got stellar quarterback play. So I think what gets Tennessee ahead of schedule right now is that they're ahead of schedule in wins, all right? Performance on the field is going to start paying dividends in recruiting. So now they're more attractive. They're going to be able to get in people's homes, maybe homes that they weren't able to get into one year ago, two years ago. So is it sustainable? Yes. Is the quarterback position critical? Absolutely. But the defensive personnel is going to be every bit as important if you hope to beat a Georgia, if you hope to continually beat an Alabama and find yourself in Atlanta at the end of the year. It seems like also Josh Heupel and his staff, they're going to have to fight misperception on the recruiting trail in a couple of areas. One you just hit on, Tom, with the play up front, running the football. This is a team based on the run game, and their running backs are getting tons of yards, and they're firing off the snap, and they're, they're run blocking a lot. The second part of it is defense. It's going to be this perception with everyone that, well, defense doesn't really matter at Tennessee. It's just about getting a couple stops a game. I looked at it this week, and everyone's talking about Missouri's defense. Missouri's defense, third best in the SEC, a great defense. If you look at stop rate, Missouri's 23rd in the country at 71%. Tennessee's almost 70% and 31st nationally in stop rate defensively. That defense isn't that bad, but the perception is they're bad because they give up a ton of yards because they're on the field so much because of their offense. How do you fight that perception if if you're Josh Heupel and his staff on the recruiting trail? You focus on what has become a reality in college football, and that is that the offensive personnel is so good across the board that a bunch of people are giving up yards from the 25 to the 25, right? So look at red zone efficiency numbers on defense and red zone efficiency numbers on offense. Essentially, on defense, you might give up for 50, 475, 500 yards a game and still have an opportunity to win the game if you're not giving up touchdowns in the red zone. Conversely, on offense, you're not going to be able to win most games with field goals. Uh, you're going to have to score touchdowns when you get into the red area. And when the field condenses, it becomes really difficult for the offense. And so that's how you get past that. And listen, that's not exclusive to, to Tennessee. or it's, it, it's pretty much run rampant all across college football and you look I'll give you a great example for four or five years um, you would look at a an Oklahoma State coached defense and you'd look statistically at them and they would be awful but you know where they were really good forced turnovers and red zone defense and so they might give up 460 yards a game but they'd win a lot of football games because of those two things right there so I still think valuing the football forcing turnovers playing great red zone defense is always going to trump a big total defense yards allowed number. I'm going to be very strategic how I phrase this question. What does Auburn need? Not what do they want, not what do their boosters want or their fans want right now, but just as a whole. Now they've got their athletic director in place. What does that football program need in their next head coach? What they may need may not be out there right now. And I'm going to liken this to when Nick Saban was hired at Alabama. Do you guys kind of remember that whole tenure prior to his arrival where everything about the Alabama job was, well, we got to have a bear guy, right? We got to have a guy who's tied to bear. We got to have a guy who's linked to, to bear Bryant. Then Alabama finally wised up and said, maybe we ought to go out and get the best guy. Maybe we ought to go out and target the guy that 
is the best person for the job. And most importantly, the guy that when an Alabama booster comes rolling in the office thinking he's going to come in and tell Nick Saban, well, this is how we used to do it or this is how we do it here. That guy was getting thrown out of the office, right? Auburn needs one of those guys because at Auburn, there's way too many hands in the cookie jar, all right? And you need a strong personality that is an absolute grinder and a detail-oriented guy in recruiting and a guy that's going to take no bull. But the problem is there's so many auxiliary things that come into play with that job that it's a very, very attractive job. And at the same time, it's a very unattractive job. Uh, You may get wealthy coaching there, all right? Uh, but at the same time, the expectations are going to be huge. They want it yesterday, but they have the resources. They have some of the things in place that you have to have to, to, to sustain and to build a championship level program. The question is, can, can you get everybody out of the way? And I think the only way you somehow pull that off is if you somehow win big early and get people to back off of you. But I don't know if there's that type of personality out there outside of an Urban Meyer type guy that would bring so much clout to the job because of a previous history of success that people would be scared of him. And I think that's what Auburn needs. Tom Luganville, our guest from ESPN, he's with us on Outkick 360. Texas A&M's record tells us they're one of the three worst teams uh, in the SEC I've, I've been tired for, for a while hearing about their recruits, their recruits, their recruits. <laughs> I know they were sick this, this last weekend, but yeah. <laughs> uh, we've, we've speculated about Jimbo Fisher giving up control of the offense to a, 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 an outside coordinator. What has to happen there for, for these great recruits to play a, a, a substantially better level of football? Yeah, well, I think we got to start and acknowledge, and, and, you know, I brought this up several times in July and August when I was asked about, you know, the vaunted 2022 recruiting class. And I said, you know, be careful. You know, a, a handful of those guys may come in and, and play or have a role. Maybe somebody will have a big impact like we've seen from Evan Stewart. But if you're under the notion that all of those guys are going to come in and transform the roster overnight as a bunch of 17 and 18 year olds, you're sorely mistaken. That's not how it works. Um, they're going to develop at different rates. You're going to get different levels of production. And the more of them that you have on the field at the same time, the probably bigger trouble you're going to be in because that is a steep learning curve. So everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for them. I I do think it's time to maybe take a different approach offensively. Um, Maybe focus on just being the head coach, not meaning you're not coaching a position or coaching the side of the ball. But maybe getting a fresh set of ideas coming into the building, a a different approach, maybe a little bit more of an evolved, creative approach offensively because what's taking place right now, guys, is not working. And it doesn't matter who they've had under center outside of Connor Wigman. Of course, he's one of the guys that got the flu. Um, But at at the end of the day, you look at at Jimbo Fisher and and the guys he's had success with. He inherited Kellen Mond, all right? And then the guys at at, at Florida State – you know, three of them got drafted in the first round. So if you have a difference maker at quarterback, that can cure a lot of woes. They haven't had that um, at Texas A&M, at least to this point. But I do think that maybe a, a different approach is, is on the way or needs to be on the way because we're just getting too much of the same thing. Can Penn State, maybe similar lines, you wrote a piece earlier this fall about four breakthrough true freshmen there. 
yeah. a list of 25. They, they were dominant on that list. Can James Franklin do something there to have them periodically breaking through with Ohio State and Michigan, or are they doomed to being third at best in the Big Ten? Is that their peak? I, I don't think it's their peak, but I think, in, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for Sean Clifford, but they need a difference maker, and they may have one in Drew Aller, the, the quarterback that they've gotten a lot of turns with, the true freshman, big Six foot five kid, a really, really impressive prospect. They've played him a lot on purpose because they know he's the future. I think they can compete with an Ohio State. I think they can compete with uh, a Michigan, but they're having some of the same troubles right now under James Franklin that Jim uh, Harbaugh had in in the early going in his tenure, and that is they can't they can't beat anybody that's any good. Any game of any significant hype or anticipation, particularly versus a top ten matchup. Penn State has failed to show up for whatever reason. And it's it's a label that's got a stench to it that they've got to get over. They get over that because what, look what's happened to Michigan. They finally got over that, and now all of a sudden they've just taken off. And so that's what I think needs to happen. And uh, uh, the place to start is to have the quarterback position be more of a difference maker type of position. You mentioned the other freshman, Katron Allen, uh, Nick Singleton. They've got a couple on defense. Abdul Carter's wearing number 11 going to be a special player uh but the quarterback position is going to take james franklin where he wants to go and they need drew aller to be that guy tom luganville our guest on outkick 360 tom i'm attempt to tie in the the auburn and a&m discussion with lsu here um you mentioned the splash higher at, at auburn and how you can win and win early that's that's what brian kelly's doing now at lsu yeah and i think if, if this was the year to get LSU if you're going to get them, right? That, that was the talk prior to the season yeah. with an over-under around seven, seven and a half wins. Is LSU about to become what Texas A&M should have been already? Well, they can be. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, you reference Texas A&M and you reference Auburn. Guess what LSU doesn't have to deal with? Another Power 5 school in their state. I mean, they're, they, they can own their state and just go and pluck from other areas across the Southeast to add to the roster. And um, listen, I, I think the one thing that people probably didn't give us enough credit to with this returning roster, of course, we didn't know how the two true freshman tackles were going to play. They didn't either. Didn't know how the tight end Mason Taylor was going to play. We know about that now. Um, and then you really didn't know which quarterback was going to be under center form prior to the season. But what you did have evidence of, was a two-deep defensive front seven that basically returned everybody intact. And if you start with a core nucleus there, you can build around some of the other things. Now, they haven't been ideal in the kicking game. We saw that in the opener against Florida State. They've got tremendous recruiting advantages, unlimited resources. And it's it's interesting, you know, you reference winning cures all woes, right? You win early. Now, all of a sudden, nobody's mentioning Brian Kelly and his fake accent. Nobody's mentioning Brian Kelly dancing on a video with a recruit. All they're focusing on is winning, right? So you win and all that other stuff goes away. And here's what I'll say. And I did their spring game uh, uh, just this past April. And, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, well, is this the right fit? I don't know if this is the right fit. Well, they were all saying that from when a guy from East Lansing took the job too, right? And my, my, my point about Brian Kelly is you can say what you want, he's won everywhere he's been. And not a little, a lot, big, championship levels at, at every level of college football going all the way down to Division Two. So I loved the fit because all I know is that guy wins. That's all I know. 
You're watching a lot of college football, and we've we've mocked openly the fact that our eyes are not deceiving us here. Will Levis is not one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL draft. We haven't seen that over the last two years. Have you? Thank because you. yeah, at ESPN, um, the rankings it, at one point Kuiper had him number one overall. Now he's like the seventh overall. I, I realize it's it's not even draft season, but it's always draft season. But Will Levis and the expectation versus results don't match up, and I don't know why people don't talk about that more. I don't either, um, because you cannot be what I call a yo-yo player. Up one series, down the next. Up one series, down the next. He's just consistently inconsistent. Now, I understand what people like about him because the physical attributes are so impressive and he can do some things that you can't coach. But if the ball's not consistently going where it's supposed to be going, or you're throwing it to the other team, or there's a streakiness to your play, that's problematic. And, and generally, if it's, if it's been something that's a bit of a pattern, you have to really start to scrutinize it. And I made, I made this comparison a couple of weeks ago and took a lot of backlash off of it. And because I keep hearing all of this Josh Allen talk. And, and, I'm, and I'm looking at him, and physically, I say, okay, I, I like Will Levis. But you know what I see? I see another guy that was. So physically gifted, right? But played the same style of play in college, all right? And that was Jake Locker at Washington. Mm. All right, he gets taken in the first round. Everybody loves him physically. And I just don't think there'll be a lot of gray area with this guy. I think with Will Levis, either he makes it or he flames out. I just don't know if there's any middle ground with him, which, which would concern me. I mean, I, I'll tell you this, guys. If you told me, hey, you have, you have a choice, you can take Will Levis, or you can take Drake May, all right? I am taking Drake May every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Well, speaking of Drake May, what is the ACC right now, exactly? Uh, <laughs> if, if, if Clemson's not dominant, right, and they're the least impressive one-loss team, I think, in America at this point, even with the one-loss, North Carolina with the one-loss to me, has looked yeah. more impressive than Clemson. But also look up and down the conference and see the problems of Miami and Florida State's just kind of mad right now. And then I, I don't know that they're going anywhere at the top of the conference right. because they're going to keep recruiting at that level. Is there a true challenger out there in the ACC where this conference can really improve in the near future? I think, I think Florida State's on the way. I think Mike Norvell finally has that ship righted from the, the, the perspective of how they handle their business, um, cleaning out the locker room, getting the right type of element uh, within that culture. Uh, that's a bright spot. I think one of the reasons we saw the ACC really fail to live up to expectations is we had a lot of highly productive quarterbacks a year ago that came in and weren't productive. Tyler Van Dyke at Miami, Brennan Armstrong, huge drop-off, Devin Leary, gets hurt, all right? Um, all of a sudden, Wake Forest has gone in the tank for, for whatever reason, and, and Sam Hartman's now throwing the ball to the other team. Uh, Louisville's getting hot now, but they've been so hot and cold. Garrett Schrader's been a surprise at Syracuse. Uh, a long-term challenger, if you're asking me, to Clemson, uh, it would probably be Florida State closest to closing the gap or being on their way to close the gap. And I'm going to be interested to see what a revamped Miami looks like because it's becoming very clear that there are going to be a lot of guys leaving that program uh, this offseason. And I'm not too sure Mario Cristobal is too disappointed in it either. Um, that, that's going to be a huge overhaul. And it's looking like he wants it to be that way. 
So how far back do they have to go before they start moving forward and closing that gap with a Florida State or, or, or a Clemson for the hierarchy of the conference? Tom Luganville, our guest. Tom, finally, what is there a story that compares to Stetson Bennett at Georgia where he we know the background. Everyone in the SEC country certainly knows the, the background of the walk-on yeah. leaves comes back. He's still looking ahead. by He's fourth on, a, on the roster in the depth chart. And was the national championship last year where fans wanted him benched after the SEC championship game. And now, I mean, in the very near future, he could win back-to-back championships, which would equal a statue in Athens in his honor. And sure. he's not, I mean, he's much better this year. Um, he's not getting near the, the, the hype for Heisman by any means. And no one was really Agreed. talking about him this preseason. You know, he was kind of an afterthought for a guy that's returning to college football after winning the title. Um, and winning a title after 41 years at Georgia, does anything compare to that? And if not, if it does, if it does, how is this not a major storyline for the college football season? I have no idea. And the only comparison that I could make recently would probably be Baker Mayfield's journey to some degree. If you guys recall, he was a, he was a walk on, wasn't recruited to Texas Tech. Uh, they have some some dominoes fall in the depth chart. He ends up playing there, right, as a freshman, uh, then splits some time with Davis Webb. They decide in the offseason they're going to go with Davis Webb. What does he do? He then goes and walks yeah. on at Oklahoma. Wasn't even on scholarship. He then sits. Trevor Knight's there. And then we all know the rest is history and how things played out in relationship to Oklahoma and the Heisman Trophy. That's the only real player comp where you say, well, somewhat of a similar journey, but what's odd is this guy won a national championship? Baker Mayfield didn't. Now we can talk all we want about the Lincoln Riley coached offenses, and uh, maybe that you know it was a little more flashy. You're at Oklahoma. Uh, I, I, I get that part of it, but aside from that, I don't, I don't get it. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, and and he's he's playing the premier position at at any level. Yeah. Like that's the that's yeah. the other thing that gets me. Uh, where are you headed this weekend? What do you have? So I just got back in town from Maction last night at Ohio at, at Miami and then uh, head out tomorrow afternoon. I've got Stanford at Utah for Pac-12 after dark, which is odd because I we rarely have that window. Uh, so our first cold game of the year uh, will be kicking off, I believe, at uh, 10 o'clock Eastern time. I love it. That's his uh, Yeah, I, his lo- I love Pac-12 after dark. Uh, little Oh, good. Yeah. You'll be seeing us. A- absolutely. <laughs> Hey, man, thank you for the time. Always excellent insight. We appreciate it. Your dog's being very oh, good thanks, back Trent. there. Uh, yeah, they, they want to come on, on the show with you and see what's going on. Making no noise, though, also. They're very yeah. well trained. Oh, no, I got the doors shut. I was just oh, talking okay. to Stanford well. staff before I came on with you. I thought like, everybody's got to shut up around here. Either way, you're an excellent dog owner, Tom. Great yes. job keeping those dogs outside for the entire interview. Thanks. Terrific. Thanks. Take right. care, everybody. There's Tom Luganville. Uh, Excellent. He's terrific. Uh, yeah, great guest. Boy, the, the Will Levis Jake Locker comparison is one I've never thought about, but that is perfect. What's the? That is the, the perfect comparison. Because if Allen not had, overly accurate at Washington, right. also, but he's didn't saying really he's either going to make it or he's not. If he compares him to Jake Locker, he's not. I mean, Jake yeah. Locker didn't come close to making. It. Well, the, uh, the, all the comparisons, though, what he was saying is Josh Allen, who was not accurate, yeah. accurate issues, yeah. uh, accuracy issues, and then. Vastly improved. We've discussed this, though. Yeah, he's yeah. He's, he's a guy who improves Locker, his accuracy yeah. is a rarity. Yes. Coming up.
A crazy story with the Tyson Foods CFO. We'll have some fun with this storyline. Let's eat some chicken. Uh, and then we've got uh, NFL discussion on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Outkick 360 rolls on. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Bill Belichick admitted that his offense is tipping plays. Oh, yeah? They've got, with formations they've got defenders calling out the play the last two games, including I mean, the Colts, which didn't help them. Yeah. Didn't but, help them, but... I mean, you know, you know what's going to help you tip plays? If you've got a defensive coordinator and a special teams coach designing and, and running your offense. Well, and also when you don't have a very dynamic offense, <laughs> I feel like you could say that about a lot of teams across yeah. the league that certain formations are going to tip certain plays well, because is, you don't have a lot of plays to go to that might work. This, is, this was different. He, he was directly asked about this and had a very long, lengthy answer, which is unusual. For very Belichick. rare for Belichick. But he, like, play, Darius who Leonard, asked it. There's a smart uh, question. Shaquille Leonard was calling out plays. And I, I feel like the, uh, the offensive line were complaining about it after the game. They knew where the ball was going. They knew who the ball was going to before the ball, like, everything. And Imagine if what's the Colts had an is offense. One of, this is the, uh, one of these opponents were the Jets. The Jets are on a bye, and they return, and they'll face the Patriots. So they've got to completely change whatever they were doing. That's a tough work If the week. Jets were barking out play calls tough work week ahead to have to do all of that plus get your execution down yes um the uh tough this week for the tyson food ceo so he um he's a cf cfo cfo yeah he's this he's the ceo he's the owner's son so he okay so he randomly walks into this girl's home college age female's home and just goes to sleep in her bed at two o'clock in the morning Police officer comes in, wakes him up. He sits up in the bed, looks dazed and confused, and then goes back to sleep without <laughs> without speaking. So, I mean, is this one of those deals where I've told you about the was the, he sleeping in, in prison? Someone thought that it was, uh, you know, the their apartment sleep? when they walked in, and well, it just happened with Jayla McCullough, in yeah. Tennessee. I mean, th- these things happen. My first thought was, does this guy? He's the the son of the owner. Of Tyson Foods, one of the biggest companies in America. And he was in Tyson He's the CFO. And does he live in an apartment complex? This is like, a how house. does the CFO? But it was, I don't a, know. it was a house he walked into, right? Yes. Because when I think about these mistaken entrances, yeah. I'm thinking you're in a complex and you went to the wrong door because everything right. kind of looks the same. All these mechanics. Then I started thinking, like- did he go to like his college apartment at Arkansas? It was in Fayetteville. Like, did he just drink himself back? 10, 15 years? Because I think he's right at about 32 years old. Yeah. The guy, and then he went back to where he lived. In, it's, a, it's a strange story. Unfortunate for him. I mean, I, I've been very, very drunk. But, but I not enough to confuse I, where you were. Not enough to go into a 
the wrong house. Yeah, it just yeah, and then she, the the. I mean, girl, I think I'd pass out before uh, I go to the wrong house. This yeah, is the yeah. house. I mean, it's a it's a dump. Um, yeah, this would not be his home. Yeah. So maybe How do you wind up? maybe he just decided. Home? You know, I'm I'm the CFO of Tyson Foods. I will sleep where I lay. Uh, I will just go pull up to this house and walk in. To and be fair, here looking bed. at this like so, so. The owner arrived home and she called police because it looks like the the door was unlocked and open. Honestly, like if you're walking by this house, I would assume everything's open in this house. Huh, that, no also, you're there. lucky you don't get shot. Huh, and that looks like the Airbnb that I rented in Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> I think it's exactly <laughs> real home of that home. It was so bad. And there were weird noises going on outside the entire night. It, it was, was very strange. Out the door. Very strange neighborhood uh, that we were in. At one point, we were debating whether or not we should open the door and look out based on the, uh, the, the screams. Did you? Did That's you a very it? weird decision, though. Like He had to have a car somewhere. I Why guess, not just yeah. pass out in the car? Or he's walking. Pass out, out in the yard. Also, go somewhere else. Like if you're getting that drunk, aren't you generally doing it with somebody? So at that oh, stage, yeah. if I was that drunk, I'd be with a friend, and presumably he, just, he wandered not, off. Both of us wouldn't be so drunk that we'd go to a random house. One of us would be like, "Hey, <laughs> that's not hey, a wrong house. house." That this is further proof that that Liberty win over Arkansas really broke that entire community. Because uh, Fayetteville never oh, never yeah. recovered. This what, was in this was the aftermath of that loss. What what that if he this was, was his old college house? Well, that would be a great be. defense. That uh, would reduce his jail term slightly. Who's this young probation. girl in my house right now? He's calling the cops on her <laughs> when she walks in. Get this broad out of here. I didn't I didn't invite her in. I don't That's know my this question. Is. I mean, he went back to bed after the police got there. Did he go to bed when they put him in the jail cell? I don't know. I mean, that's a process in and of itself. I think that kind of sobers you up. Yeah. He's next to <laughs> the 60 days in. Uh, NFL playoff discussion next on Outkick 360.